Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, 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 diddly D. Hey everybody, it's me, Dr. Fuck, and with me is... Oh yeah, the Ayatollah Alcohola, Ian Wadley. Hi, Ian. Hello, Ralph. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, I'm getting there. All Let's right. put it that way. Kooky, man. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm four beers in already. I'm getting there. So we got any of those iTunes reviews, man? No, no. Unfortunately, we don't have iTunes reviews, but we do have something important to talk about, and that is the Rock and Pot Expo 2. Uh, that is creeping up here. That is going to be uh, about two months from when you guys hear this episode. And I just want to stress to everybody that now is the time to get in. If you want to get your uh, episodes, I mean, we still have a lot to record, man, because you guys have been done done a great job with donating and requesting these episodes. We have plenty more coming. But uh, it will end, you know, the week before the, the expo. And next year... The fundraising is going to be set up a lot differently, uh, so we're going to have a much smaller amount to raise, and that's all we're going to do for the fan episode. So come next year, it's first come, first serve, and when they're gone, they're gone. But this year, it's still wide open, so this is the time, you know, if you want to get that episode in, man, don't dilly-dally. Do it now, and also, if you're coming to the expo a lot more of our listeners are showing up this year because they saw how great last year was uh remember get with me on on the link you get a special rate on the hotel that's right across the street from the venue and anybody that's donated already that all goes to your mission if you've already donated ten dollars uh you're already in the thing if you've already donated 20 or more you get in an hour early so all that shit adds up and there's so much shit coming. It's been announced now. We can announce, uh, uh, let's see, Ron Keel, Tora Tora, and uh, Frank Domino and uh, Punky Meadows from Angel are playing the, the pre-event show on Friday night. On Saturday, we've got the expo. And then the after party, which we're going to be at and we're going to be introducing Black Hair on. But there's also uh, Deadman's headlining. Uh, who I saw last year at the pre-show, and they were amazing. And a couple other bands are playing at the basement, the same venue where we caught Raven last year. And, you know, that, that it's a great place to see it, uh, to see a band, man. Really cool, dirtbag kind of a place. My kind of joint. And then Sunday night is uh, the Laugh It Up uh, thing, where Craig Gass, Courtney Cronin Dole, and uh, with the Inappropriate Earl... We're all doing a comedy show on Sunday night. It is a fun-filled weekend that is coming up soon. So, again, if you want that episode or you want to donate, you want to get into that special, uh, the VIP thing, where we still have multiple episodes that are going to come up. We're going to do Kiss Rock and Roll Over. We're also going to have a special episode with former uh, friends and enemies of the podcast. And that's just $10 to get access to that. So, but now is the time, man. Two months. So save up that shit and chip up because it'll, uh, 
it'll be here before you know it, right? Yeah. Yeah, what he said. All right, well, something uh, we got to get into now. Ooh, boy, I wish we didn't have to do this, but uh, we got a tribute coming up. Yep, what a bummer, man. Vinnie Paul. Yeah, but we got a special guest uh, to join us in that, a returning friend of the podcast. So let's get to it. All right, cool. So who do we have on the line here, Ian? Well, we got a returning guest. You know him from our Pantera Far Beyond Driven episode. Kirsten Tapween is with us today uh, to talk about Vinnie Paul and share his memories and his stories. Kirsten, good to have you back, brother. How you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing good, man. Just a uh, little brokenhearted, that's all. I hear you, man. It's uh, This really caught me off guard. I think, Ralph, you uh, you found out about it after we recorded last Friday night, huh? Yeah, uh, I was uh, literally minutes after they announced it. I was uh, doing a, a Black Sabbath thing on Skype with uh, Brody, and then he goes, Brody goes, oh, man, you know who died? And before he even told me, I was like, oh, no, oh, no. Not knowing who it was, but just by him saying that, I was like, oh, I know it's a hero. I know it's going to be a hero. And then he said Vinny Paul, and I was like, oh, fuck, man, really, you know? Yeah, I found out probably about 7 in the morning on Saturday. When did you find out, Kirsten? Man, what was crazy is... I woke up and I, I, I wake up at like 5.30 these days because I'm like a normal person now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And uh, I have to work, you know, and shit. But so I woke up and I go on Facebook because I'm a normal person. <laughs> and uh, and, I, and I, I go to my messenger and my old drummer uh, had sent me a message saying Benny Paul is dead. And, and I was like, you know, it's one of those things where you where you walk out the backyard and you see your kid in a pool drown and you go, that's a doll. Right. It's not it's not fucking real. And I kept trying to tell myself it's not real. You know, it, it was that close to me, dude. You know, and, and, and it fucked me up, dude. I couldn't believe it. I, I was like, this is a joke. This is one of those pranks. And yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I was glad you happened to message me today on Facebook as we were getting ready to record this because uh, I couldn't think of a better person to have on here with us because you share such a huge passion for Pantera. You were formerly involved with the Pantera Project, you know, and uh, I know it was near and dear to you. Have Had you ever met Vinny? Oh, yes, I have, dude. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yes, I have. Can, yeah. you, can you share some Vinny stories? Yeah, dude, I can, man. You know, we went out to the clubhouse in Dallas, dude, me and my brother. And it was one night. We were fucked up, dude. We were fucked up. And we, we got this huge check, you know. We were, we, were, we were laying tile floors, and we got this big, big check we weren't even supposed to spend. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> and I said, you know what? Let's go out. Yeah, let's go to fucking Dallas, dude. We drove from Bernie, Texas, right outside of San Antonio. So you're talking six hours, right? Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. 
Got out to Dallas. Uh, we got us a hotel room, waited all day, went and partied down in Deep Ellum and everything and waiting for the clubhouse to open for it to be a key time, you know? Right. And and uh, uh, we, wa- we walked through the door. We had... You know, we had big sacks of weed and everything like that. So <laughs> but when we walked in, I don't know if we just looked like the kind of people that smoke pot or something. But the lady at the front door, she goes, are you guys staying for the fourth breakfast? And I was like, I, I, well, I guess so. I don't know what that is. But apparently they had a 420 breakfast where they closed at four, locked the doors and went upstairs and partied and smoked. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, if anybody <laughs> knows the clubhouse and knows the guys and they know about it and they know I'm not bullshitting here. But so anyway, we stayed and it's a, you know, bring your own beer, bring your own liquor type of place. So I just had this giant fucking ice chest full of shit. <laughs> and and we're, we're partying and we're, we're getting drunk and we got girls all around and shit. You know, I'm a rock star with the shit, you know. So... Uh, one of the girls comes over and says, Benny and Rex are here. Wow. They're at their table in the corner. So me, I don't give a fuck. You got security. I don't care. I'm getting through it. You know what I mean? I've got to see this God, you know? So I went over and I sat down and I said, I want you to get over there and tell that DJ to start playing Pantera because I'm a singer, you know? And I, I've sung for metal bands in Texas, and and I do a real goddamn good fill. So I said, <laughs> I said, look, I want you to play Pantera for the rest of the night. And Benny told him, and they did. And I sat at his fucking table and sang Pantera, drunk as a skunk, all fucking night. What year was this? This was actually when they were looking for a new singer. Then that's why I was there. You know, that's wow. why. That's why I was doing this, because I was sort of doing it in audition. It was probably really fucked up. <laughs> you think? Because <laughs> I was wasted, you know? But yeah. nevertheless, I had fun. I met the guys, and they loved me, and they were cool to me. You know, and they called me nice. crazy. They called me crazy, man. They said, crazy, man, you know? You know, and, it, and I thought that was so cool, man. And it, it, it was a it was a moment of my life that makes me fucking happy. You know? Oh, hell yeah, man! That's awesome. Is that yeah. the only time you ever uh, met Vinny and Rex, or have you met him multiple times? No, 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 no. That's that is the only time, dude. And that oh. was that that was enough. And that that's oh, what's that's cool. Awesome. That's even what's cool about it because they didn't. They didn't shoo me off. They didn't, you know, they weren't dicks to me. They loved me, dude. And they let me sit at their table all night and party. And and that says a lot. And that's that's why I started the Pantera Project. I started it because those guys were those kind of good guys, you know? Oh, yeah. And, 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 and that was amazing to me. Awesome. And Ralph, you met him on the uh, Cowboys tour, correct? No, you know, funny enough, oh. I, I met all three members but him. Uh, oh, and, really? And, and okay. the Cowboys tour, I only met I only met Dime that night. Oh, okay. Because he came out of the back and, and even gave us all drinks. But uh, then I met Phil and Rex on the motorboat. But I never met um, Vinnie Paul, unfortunately. I never got to meet him. Yeah, and, and the same here. He's the only one. Well, like, I never really 
uh, met Dime, you know, but they had the moment where, you know, I got hit in the head with his guitar and he looked at me and smiled, but I've met Rex, unfortunately, it wasn't that good, <laughs> you know, and I've met Phil multiple times, uh, but yeah, I never met Vinny, and something, you know, before we started recording, we were talking to Kirsten, you know, we both kind of had the same feeling, and I, I'm sure you're probably going to agree, uh, you know, I, I think this man died of a broken heart. I don't know if he ever really recovered from, from what happened to Dime, and they were so close. And another thing, he never let go of that that pain and hatred and the blame on uh, on Phil. Yeah. You know? And I think you, you could sense that in, in any interview with him, you, you know? Uh, yeah. Even even without hearing his voice, just reading the comments, you can kind of you can feel it. And it was always one of those weird things because I could understand what he was saying, even though I know it wasn't right. I mean, you really can't blame Phil for that, but I could see how you could interpret it that way and how trying to process your pain. It's easier just to shun that person than it is to embrace them. And I always felt bad for him because of that. Because you could sense he never let that go. And, you know, hell yeah, really didn't take off like, you know, Down or some of Phil's other side projects. You know, it never really got that respect. Uh, I I mean, I know as a fan, you know, I wanted to it, but then first thing, you know, when I heard it was with the singer from Mudvayne, I was like, oh, because I love I, I love the first Mudvayne album and the rest of it. And I then after was, that, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was like, you know, it all sounded like fucking Stone Sour radio disturbed shit to me. So in all yes. honesty, I've never checked out any of the other Hell Yeah albums. I was just like, man, I want to see Vinny do something of substance. In, in all respect, yeah. too. Hey, I don't like all of Phil's projects. Some I like a lot. Some some I don't. But sure. I, I wanted to see him have uh, some success, you know, some happiness in his yeah. life. And it just seemed like, man, it's just one of those things he could never recover from. And, and I said it on my radio show. I was like, look, everybody's going to be speculating this and that. We don't know anything yet. But I'm saying the man died of a broken heart. Man. Well, let me say this, Ian. You know, I started the Pantera Project because... I know how old we are, dude. Yeah. We're, we're fucking old. We're going to die any second. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I oh, mean, yeah. look at this guy. I mean, you don't know when, when death's going to come knocking on your fucking door. So I'm like, I'm like, man, dudes, please bridge the gap, man. Get together. Do this thing. Mend this thing. Heal this fucking thing and give it one more shot, man. Give it. Get, 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 you're the best. Yeah, I, I really want the best, you know. I really wanted to see it too, and I'd hope someday they'd bury it and, you know, do the thing with Zach. And man, you ain't got to call it Pantera. You can call it whatever and have it just be what it would be, because there is no Pantera without Dime. But but do right. a tribute, play those songs so people can hear those songs again, and, and and those who were too young to see it originally can hear those songs because they deserve to be sung you know i know i've seen yeah. phil solo uh you, you know with his solo band and he's done like he did like one pantera song and i about lost my mind because 
I've seen yeah. Pantera so many times, and I, I miss hearing those songs live, but I know what you say about us getting old, because mentally, you know, I'm still in fucking junior high, but, you know, I just, yeah. I, I just went and saw Anthrax last week, and I, yeah. moshed, I moshed the whole show, dude, and... <laughs> Yeah, I felt it. Like I didn't drink that much. I was actually for me, I was good. I think I had like six tall boys, and for me, that's good. But the yeah. next day, I felt it because physically, I'm 44 and out of shape, and I moshed all night. You know, so it's like, yeah. damn, yeah. we're not, we're not as young. Uh, you know, time. You know, we're on the other end of that hourglass. Sure. You know, so sure. uh, I, I always hope someday. You know, and. And I think about when, you know, I think it was like the second or third time I met Phil, you know, when I told him about my Pantera tattoo and I showed it to him and he smacked my fucking arm. He's like, you wear that shit with pride. And I was like, I do every fucking day, man. And, uh, you know, and then later on that night, he punched me. So shit happens. But, <laughs> you know, but it, and that was the best. That was the best punch you ever got, buddy. I don't even remember it, but my buddy played me the phone message. I called him like like as a thing of pride, like Phil punched me, yeah, <laughs> you know. Hell like, yeah. But you know that that music meant so much to people, and you know, and there's people who love it now that weren't there. But man, if you were there back then, like we all were, saw them multiple times. I mean, yeah. they were the saviors of fucking metal and all the other gods let us down you know when metallica was breaking your fucking heart and you know nothing could yes. be more uncool than metal here came these fucking gods from the fucking south saying oh yes. fuck no you know you know uh, this ain't dying and, and here we're gonna we're gonna bring something a little different to the party and that was the greatest thing is they had a different sound it's like metal took another step you know, yes. they were one of those bands, and in, in my opinion, well, it they're, was they're, the breath. It was the breath of everything yeah. that metal before that we were, we were, we were raised on. What we, what we, you know, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, all oh. these things blended into one fucking monster. You know, oh, yeah. And then they they gave it that fucking groove, but it was something new, and it was something original and awesome. And I really don't think, even though there's some great metal bands out there i don't yeah. think there's another band out there that has taken metal that, that next level. step i i think you know because yeah. i find what i like now that's newer are bands that are retro and i and i love sure. that that's great you know i'd rather hear something i know is good than something new that sucks you know but right. you know i'm still waiting for that band that's gonna be the new pantera obviously they can't sound anything like pantera but then you know Black Sabbath sounded like nobody else. You know, Van Halen sounded like nobody else. You know, there's innovators and there's imitators. And I'm, right. waiting, well, I'm you know, waiting for that new innovator. Pantera was very special to me uh, during those dark years. And I love the fact that Phil would go up on stage saying, you know, uh, we are not ashamed to be metal. We are metal. We'll fly the flag. And, you know, I've had some arguments with some people like, oh, you know, they didn't really say metal because, you know, I mean, of course, they're the haters. Uh, we had the death metal. We had the Swedish death metal. We had, we had this and that. We had blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, but not at the level of Pantera. I mean, they were a big band doing that. And that's there's a big difference between underground metal bands and more mainstream metal bands. And even though they didn't sound mainstream, they were very popular. And um, that's something that a lot of people, that's why I do believe they 
they were the saviors of metal. Even all these bands we love, they all, you know, and you can even throw Anthrax into the mix. They all changed their sound. They are, they're all trying to get away from, you know, the, the, what they what made them popular. And what made Pantera popular was not Projects in the Jungle, was not, you know, I Am The Night, was not Metal Magic, was not even Power Metal. It was Cowboys From Hell. And then Vulgar Display Power was where they really found their sound. And they became yes. ever more popular with that. And that propelled them for Far Beyond Driven and, you know, and so on. And um, while other bands that were at the level of success they were at at uh, Vulgar Display of Power, they a lot of them try to be Pantera in the night. All right, let's yes. get a little groove. Let's do this. They, they became followers. And uh, one thing you know, many people and I love you know the people that were like putting up pictures of early Pantera to make fun of how they looked. I go, yeah. Yeah, 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 they really do look glammy, but you ever listen to those fucking albums, you dumbass? Those albums kick ass. They yeah. might yeah. sound like the Pantera of later, but they're still fucking metal. And that's what upsets yeah. me a lot about today's climate. Today's climate has no respect for metal at all. At all. Uh -huh. you, you know, you're going to fucking, you know, when people bash Ozzy or people bash whoever, you know, it's like, it's metal, but I mean... Metal used to be about unity, you know, and, and the 90s caused that shit and the, you know, and the, the babies that were spawned out of it. But in the <laughs> end, man, it was, uh, you know, like it or not, Pantera saved metal. You know? Yeah. And, you know, another thing I think they did, uh, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, because, you know, my opinion, it's absolutely true. Another thing that propelled them to that next level was the Pantera home videos. Because once people saw those, like nobody else was doing videos like like normally you get when we're growing up, you get the VHS. You know, it might be a live album or it's a compilation of their videos. But here you just see this band that is so like you listen to music. There's nothing funny about it. But you see these videos, man. These are just regular guys like us having a good time, enjoying yeah. life. And you felt like you were part of it. I mean, you connected to him on a regular guy level. And I mean, it was so insane. Well, it's it's like you you knew who the road crew was because of those videos. You knew who, you know, I'm friends with Bobby Tongs on fucking Facebook and to talk to him. You know, and I yeah. know because of those videos, you know, and the guy guy go for you guy's know. side saw that shit. I mean, it, it it brought you in and made you feel like a family. Plus, it, it didn't hurt that the fucking music was amazing, you know? Yeah, yeah. The best. Oh, yeah. Not, not even amazing. There's a lot of amazing music. I'm amazed by Avenged Sevenfold. You know? They amaze me. They got a great singer. They got I'm a, great I, I'm amazed you said that. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're no Pantera. No, set a standard. There, there is nobody forming a musical genre after them. Well, and, and Pantera was like, you want to talk about a perfect band because you had a front man in, <laughs> in, in, in Phil that was like, you know, Ozzy, David Lee Roth, and Satan all rolled into one and yeah. always held the the audience in the palm of his hand you had a bass player in rex that 
you know, a lot of times in heavy music, uh, they're always the missing guy. Like, listen to how many thrash bands. There's very few that have a bass player that you can say, oh, I know that sound, you know, where I can hear the fucking bass. I, I love Slayer, man. I don't know if I've ever heard Tom Mariah other than singing. You know, so yeah. you, had a, you had a great bass player there. You had a genuine guitar, in my opinion, the last guitar hero in, in Dimebag. You know, uh, and, then, and then in Vinny, you had this amazing drummer. What I always loved about Vinny is, you know, Vinny was the big guy. You know, Vinny was like the, you know, the Mick Mars or, or the Pete Willis. You know, he wasn't the looker. He wasn't the guy that the girls are always like, uh, but he had fucking talent. He had talent out his ass. I mean, that guy could drum. And I love the whole thing about, you know, the brothers, dude, because it's like Van Halen. You know, it's like a thrash version of Van Halen. You know, here's the fucking brothers that grew up loving this yeah. music, playing together, staying together. You know, it. You know, there's there's something so awesome about that. You know, the the two. You know, here's the Abbott boys, man, tearing that shit up, and the the fact that you know Mustaine wanted uh, Dimebag, and Dimebag's like, well. I ain't coming without my brother. I mean, think about that. He turned down joining Megadeth when Pantera was playing bars. Yes. To say, if you don't take my brother, then, <laughs> hey, Jack, I'll catch you later. I agree with you, Ian, when you say he died of a broken heart yeah. because, you, I, I don't know, you know, you have, like, a, a grandpa and a grandma, you know, and the grandpa dies or the grandma dies, and then there, a few months after, you right. know, uh, the, the the one of them goes, the other one goes, you know, and 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 I I think that's the same situation, and I I feel bad because I got down on Benny. I couldn't believe that he wouldn't put this back together and do a tribute to his brother, but I guess I didn't understand the pain, man, because yeah. because he he was really feeling it, dude, and it it brought him to this. You know, well, 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 here's the way I've always looked at it. Even though I know it's wrong, I try to think. Sometimes I make decisions that are purely based emotionally, not logically, but emotionally. And and the whole thing is like, if Phil never would have left, they never would have been playing a place like they were playing in Damage Plan, to where right. a guy's gonna get up there with a gun. You know, right? Phil Phil says that shit. You know, in that interview about he deserves a, a fucking beat down. And, you know, it was half, you know, you got to look at Phil's condition back then. Plus, I still think it was kind of said with a, with a you know, a, a nod and a wink. You know, I don't, yeah. you know, Phil didn't wish that shit on him. But, you know, it's you're playing that little war. And, of course, the press is going to single out on that. That's going to be the headline. That's going to be the sound bite. You know, and that's yeah. unfortunately the problem with the media. That's going to get people to click on the link to read the story. Oh, he said that, but they don't they don't look at the bigger picture. But you combine all this shit together, and then that shit happens. And I can see where it's easy to place the blame. Like, oh, if he never would have done this, this never would have happened, and my brother still be alive. And you know Phil didn't make that shit happen. You know he can't control what other people did. That was a sick fucking individual probably the military fucked up worse than fucking you know misconstruing any fucking Pantera lyrics and shit like that you know right. and it's just it's a damn shame but you know what it is it's easier to put the blame on Phil than it is just to swallow that 
there's crazy fucking people out there with access to fucking guns that fucking can do some damage. You know, yeah. so I, I always understood his pain, even though I don't know if it was justified, but I was hoping that someday he could come to some kind of peace with it and just say, hey, look, I know shit went south, but look at what we achieved together. You know, and, and you know damn well if Dime was still alive, they would have got back together. You know, you know that shit. Everybody knows that shit, man. Yes. Because Dime, yes. Dime, Dime was the biggest, every interview you see, everything you read, he was a sweet, fun-loving guy that loved life. And even though I'm sure he was mad at Phil, over time, they they, they would have hashed this shit out. We would have had some great Pantera records and, and, and great tours. And this shit would have worked itself out, you know. But because of an insane piece of shit, you know, we were deprived of that. It's a damn shame, but Vinny, man, I mean, you can't say enough about his drumming. He was a huge part of their sound and a huge part of, like, he was the guy behind the scenes that really held the band together that, you know, was kind of, oh, yeah. you, you know, he made sure they were headed in the right direction and, and took care of business and, you know, a fun-loving guy. And I felt bad when Rex's book came out and Rex said the shit he said. But, yeah. you know, by all accounts, if you read where Rex's head was at in that time probably wasn't the best time for him to write a book and again what do people want when they read a book they want to hear dirt you know and and, and that's what came out and it's a damn shame because you know Rex was allowed at the funeral uh, you know Phil wasn't you know but it wasn't too soon after that, that that Vinny cut off all ties you know with Rex it probably had to do with him being in down and hanging out with Phil uh, yeah yeah. But, you know, it's just, you see people hold on to that pain, man, but I can't judge because it ain't me, and who knows, man. If, I, if I'd if i been Vinny Paul, maybe I'd be the same fucking way. But as a fan, uh, in, you know, you, you wanted to hear that music again. You wanted some kind of, uh, you know, recon- you know, they straighten their shit out, you know, and it's just, it, it's a damn shame, you know, and... 54 years old and we still don't know we know it's a heart attack we don't know if anything else was involved you know i've seen a lot of people talking about that could very well contribute to it is sleep apnea you know I'm, I'm i'm a big guy and i had problems with sleep apnea and i lost 30 pounds and it's gotten better but there's people who die from that all the time you know so yeah. I, I don't want to rush to any judgment about what it was until all the facts come out. all we know now it was a heart attack we don't know, you know, sleep apnea, if any drugs were involved. So I'm not even going to fucking speculate or, or throw any fucking shade on it, man. I'm just, I'm sorry he's fucking gone. And uh, it's a damn shame because now, now you really can't even have anything. Even even a Pantera, the best you could have is Rex and Phil, you know, yeah. do, do those stuff. And to tell you the truth, I hope they do. I hope that you know. Of, of course, don't call it Pantera, but now more than ever, get out there, play those songs, do a tribute to the Abbott Brothers, and uh, honor their memory, man. Honor that music that was created because it's timeless, and we'll never get it again. You know. That that that's that's the idea, right there. Yeah. And yeah. I, I hope it does. And as uh, as of now, we really haven't heard from. Uh, 
from Phil or you know Rex said just that he was you know devastated and yeah. uh, you know respect his privacy and see that's got to be hard on you know both of them because they didn't have that closure to mend that friendship you know it's very, like Rex said all that shit in his book about Vinny that was pretty vicious even Phil said damn Vinny didn't deserve that you know but you know Phil didn't have his piece either and all Phil put up was that you know and I shouldn't say all but I mean you know he put up the the candle in the dark light uh, but it's got to be just devastating and have you guys seen the video with uh, Sebastian Bach? Yeah. yeah. I, oh. I saw it. I saw it right when he put it up. And and yeah. that is heartbreaking. I saw somebody post it online that is, uh, well, at least they claim to be friends with Sebastian in real life. And they're like, this Sebastian man. Sebastian loved those guys. Oh, man. yeah. He loved but he this, loved this, them. This guy said he knows Sebastian. He's like, Sebastian don't cry. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you could tell he was just, you know, torn apart. And uh, wow. he did, you know, what I think was a beautiful, uh, you know, it was a short version of Cemetery Gates, but, uh, you, you know, to pay honor to him and stuff. And, you know, I saw yeah. Pantera with Skid Row and it was amazing. And, you know, yes. you see the videos, they were friends, you know, and, you know, a lot of people, man, everybody loved fucking Pantera, Dimebag and, and, and fucking Vinny. They were friends. You know, you really don't see anybody have a bad thing to say, you know, and Vinny always seemed, you know, to be that life of the party and, uh, you know, wanting to have a good time. Maybe it was different behind the scenes, but he always came off to me as, uh, you know, just wanted to celebrate Dime's legacy and, and what they achieved. And, you know, even though he said he didn't want to be friends with Phil, you know, when he talked about the albums, it was nothing but positive and how great everybody was. You know, and how great hey, those albums were. Can I say a couple of things before I go? I'm I'm out on I'm out on my father's ranch right now. I'm about to lose all service. I wanna say today is also my my brother's birthday. He he committed suicide a couple of years ago. Oh, so I know Again, I know what it's like to lose a brother, man, and we're out here celebrating his birthday. So this is like the perfect uh, time to, you know, just give a shout out to Ryan Topperwine, Vinnie Paul, and Don Agdell, dude. I'm opening a beer right now, brother. Just, you know, okay, man. Okay, man. I love you guys for keeping metal alive, you know. I got and you, just, brother, man. Hey, hopefully they're all hanging out, partying now, man, up in God's Tavern. That's right. That's right, man. So play Cemetery Gates, dude, you know, you you on this it. show. And I'm going to let y'all go because I got to get back with my family. And I love you guys. Uh, we love you, love too, you man. too, man. Thank, thank you for joining us, Kirsten. Thank you all for right. your time, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you later, brother. Good night, man. Bye-bye. Uh, all right well before we get into the review uh we're gonna bless uh our buddy's request to play some uh cemetery gates not only going out to vinnie paul and uh dimebag but but also his brother ryan hell yeah and uh after this song we'll get we'll go smack into our black sabbath technical xc review so rest in peace ryan vinnie paul and uh, Dimebag and B. 
Big Val. Throw him in there too. Hell yeah. Catch a pull.
so let's get into it, Ian. This week we are fucking, oh man, I, I'm such a big Black Sabbath fan that I'll be fucked up if I get the year wrong, huh? Yeah. Let, let me give it a shot. Uh, 77. You know, that's the year I always think this is, but no, it's 1976. You liar. Nope. True story. Liar, liar, pantsuit on fire. September 25th, 1976. Ah, that's that's already 77, 78. Sure not. Well, 70, there you go. 70, what the fuck am I saying, Ian? <laughs> You're wrong? <laughs> Even when I'm wrong, I'm right. It's all right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this is a... This, boy, you want to talk about the final Black Sabbath album I bought from the original... Uh, 70s stuff because this was the one that was uh, really under the radar no no uh, no uh, it wasn't on we sold our souls for well it wasn't on we sold our souls because it wasn't out yet um, my very first Black Sabbath album I bought when it was new was Never Say Die then I went backwards and the very final one I bought was Technical XC mainly because of word of mouth and believe it or not, the first time I ever heard anything off this album was in the eh, almost mid 80s, around 83, 84, when Night Flight showed clips of the Hammer Hammersmith show where they showed them playing Dirty Women. And that's the uh, first time I ever heard that song. I was like, fuck, that song's really good. And that must be off that, that weird white album I don't own. So I need to get that. So I remember that was the last one I bought. I even owned, I owned Born Again, Mob Rules, and Heaven and Hell before I ever owned Technical Ecstasy. So it was the last one I bought. And uh, I remember loving it. You know, the first time I heard it, I was like, this fucking rocks. You know, I mean, a couple songs. Eh. Now those couple songs are like, <laughs> but back then I was like, eh, all right, all right. It's still Black Sabbath, you know, but uh, but man, do I have a deep love for this album, even if it's still my least favorite from the 70s. I still put this at the bottom, but my god, I love this album. I listened to it today again, and it is fucking great. It's so different and weird, it's like their elder of the 70s. Shut up, Ian. I, I see where you're going. I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. It's my bad. All right. Tell us how you discovered it. Uh, well, I would say this was the last Ozzy era that I bought as well. Fucking copycat. Always on the coattails. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, Even before you knew me. Yeah. And it was, it was the same thing, too. Uh, bad word of mouth. You know, when I got into Sabbath, I went back and listened uh, to my dad's records and stuff. And... Um, but he stopped. The last one he bought was uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Uh, but I heard all this good stuff about Sabotage. And I heard kind of different shit about Never Say Die as well. Like it wasn't as good. But I was familiar with the title track because I'd already had uh, uh, Speak of the Devil. So I bought that one first. This was the last one. Yeah, uh, and even Speak of the Devil didn't have nothing from this album. It was no. hard to hear anything from this album because... Speaking of the devil, is like it had everything up to sabotage. It shit, it even had Never Say Die on it. 
Right. Which and, personally uh, is my favorite track off Speakers Devil is the version of Never Say Die. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked it as well. And, uh, but, uh, shit, I lost my train of thought here. Uh, you were talking about technical ecstasy. Yeah, I, I was trying, and then I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, but, uh, shit, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I bought this one last. And, uh, yeah, I didn't like it as much as the other ones, but, uh, I still liked it, you know, because at the same time, I was like, everything's Sabbath, because, you know, first I got into Ozzy, then I go back to Sabbath, and then Sabbath was like, holy shit, this is like Ozzy times 10, and there's not all the fillers that are on these Ozzy albums. I'm like, this shit is amazing. Let me ask uh, you something. Sure. Uh, since you are much younger than me, did yes. you discover most Sabbath songs from Speak of the Devil before you heard the original? Um, oh no, because your dad, right? Yeah, no, no. I I, I heard the other stuff, and I, I even some was played. You know, like stuff from the first three you would hear on classic rock radio, but, but you'd that, never hear anything after that on classic rock radio. The first time you heard "Symptom of the Universe" was "Speak of the Devil," right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I yep. Um, <laughs> because I, I think you know, because I got into Ozzy with "Ultimate Sin," and then I went back and bought all of the Ozzy stuff I got through Columbia House. And then, you know, I was like, oh, I gotta check out the Sabbath. You know, my dad's got the Sabbath record. So then I listened to that and pretty much bought all, all the ones that uh, that he had that I liked. And then got Sabotage. And then I bought Never Say Die. And then the, yeah, this was the last one. And it was the first CD that I ever had that skipped. And I remember being so pissed because back then that's a thing like, oh, CDs will last forever. They're indestructible, you know, you know all this shit. Because I'm still, you know, I still bought this in the 80s, on, you know, on CD. But it skipped during uh, She's Gone. And I freaked out. I was like, no, this is these aren't supposed to happen. And I tried all this shit, like all these different household cleaners that probably just made it worse. But I did all this shit and there was no like, you know, now you can go on YouTube and they'll show you ways like, you know, you see this shit with toothpaste and wood filler and all these ways to fix shit, you know, uh, vinyls and CDs. But back then, you know, I just I figured, hey, look, it's like glass, you know, all this shit. I was so pissed and, and ended up taking it back and getting my money. But they kind of they were giving me shit about it because I scuffed it up so bad trying to clean the motherfucker. <laughs> but they eventually because I bought so many CDs. They did give me another copy. Well, if that ever happens to you again, the best thing to use are Brillo pads. Oh, Brillo pads. Scrubs it right out. I remember that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I like it. It's definitely my least favorite. Uh, you know, spoiler alert. Like? Uh, but, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think there are some hidden gems on here. Uh, some people... I think a lot of people will know, and some, yeah, yeah, you, you, maybe you need to go back and listen to it. You can appreciate the greatness of other songs. But I find it funny though when they got back together that they would do one song off of this, but nothing uh, from "Never Say Die." And even Ozzy, you know, did "Never Say Die" on "Speak of the Devil," but yet he won't do anything from that album now. And you know, I thought something like "Never Say Die" that'd be great live. It should be hard to pull off, but he really rags this one. 
But I think this is the weaker one. But again, he'll still only do, uh, you know, Dirty Women. Yeah, well, Dirty Women doesn't require the the belting singing where Never Say Die does. So that's probably why he won't do it. Right. But, uh, yeah, you know, really experimental album for them. And they were trying something different and recording in a different environment. And I think it affected it. You know, you know, another thing is the, the drugs by this point. And they're recording this album at, at Criteria Studios in Miami, Florida. And they're recording the same time the Eagles are recording Hotel California. And there are reports that a lot of times the Eagles stopped recording because Sabbath was so fucking loud it was bleeding through into the next room. That is true. And, and, and was fucking up their shit. But they would also switch studios back and forth and say, man, there, there'd be all kinds of coke on the, on the soundboard from when the Eagles were in there. And uh, interesting. But I, I think I think a sunny environment and, and, and the drugs contributed a lot to this album. I, th- I think this is kind of where the drugs stopped working. Because I love me some cocaine. But when you keep going, you know, it gets to a point where it works until it stops working. And I think this is the sound of them recording when the cocaine stops working. Can you imagine? On a lost desert highway, I like choking toys. Cut, cut, stop, stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, guys, let's go to the bar and wait till these ass- assholes leave. <laughs> I know. And I could just picture the Eagles being these pompous motherfuckers like, oh, we're doing art here. Yeah. You know? And and I keep hearing rock and roll doctor. <laughs> hey, why don't you go buy some cocaine and leave it outside so they can go outside for a while? <laughs> exactly. Put a little put a little line going outdoor out the out the door so we can get something done here. Um but what, one thing I will say about this album, if you, if you don't have it or you want to repurchase it or or, or, or whatever, get it get it on vinyl on the new uh, the 180 gram issues because it is by far the best. I've heard it on all kinds of different formats, and and by far the the, the new Sabbath remasters, you'll hear all kinds of different shit that you don't hear, even on uh, the Ozzy Years CD box set, which. You know, I thought was the best version you could ever hear of these albums until I got the the 180 gram vinyl reissues. Uh, it, it really is the best this album has ever sounded, and there there is a lot of bells and whistles on this that uh, really brighten it up and and and, and it help a lot of these songs. I think kind of hurt it on other versions because it just sounds kind of muddy, but on the vinyl it, it really shines and pops where it's supposed to. And I highly suggest you check that out. Hell yeah. And Criteria Studios was literally half a block away where I used to rehearse um, uh, with my band. It was the third rehearsal space we went to. And it was so cool. Like, man, heaven and hell, technical ecstasy, never say die, defenders of the faith, screamer for vengeance. We're all done right there, you know? Fucking amazing, amazing place. Uh, the Bee Gees did Saturday Night Fever there, and uh, yeah, it was fucking awesome. And Turbo Faster also recorded there. Oh, oh, and we all know how great they are. Oh, the shit. They are. The uh, shit. And and I don't know if it was owned by him at the time, but this is the one that Barry Gibb owns now, right? I don't know. I have no idea. I'd never heard anything like that, so it might be true. 
Yeah, well, I know at one point he owned it, but I didn't know if he owned, if he owned it already back then or not. But I know he, he at one point he was the owner. Can you do a impression of Barry Gibb buying Criteria Radio uh, <laughs> Studios? Who <laughs> would like to, to, to buy a studio with a big Gary Cole? Me and my boys, me and my boys. That never gets go. old. <laughs> Can you do it like if Barry Gibb was buying it off of uh, Michael McDonald? <laughs> Let me think here. <laughs> my, 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 Michael McDonald, I'd like to buy a student from you. Oh, believe I could sell you this place. I believe you can get it for a bargain price. <laughs> oh, bravo, bravo. Thank you. That's the best I can do on short notice. Oh, yeah, dude. Right there. That's, that's, that's the beauty of it. It's pure spontaneous shit. <laughs> All right, cool, man. So, uh, yeah, you want to dive into this fucker? Hell yeah, man. Why don't you nosedive into this son of a bitch and take the first track? First track, Backstreet Kid. I was watching today my review on the album. And uh, I didn't really, I wasn't really kind to this song. I don't know why on my review. I was like, wow, I never remember disliking this song. Not that I really slammed it. I was just like, yeah, it's okay. No, I, I really love this song. It's, uh, I love the way it's, the, my favorite is the way it starts. Dun, 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 dun. I just think it's a good bombastic. Hey, you know, it's pretty much a song about their childhood in Birmingham and uh, reflecting back on, you know, uh, you know, when they started, it's kind of like a history lesson. And uh, uh, I really dig it. I, I, it is cheesy in parts, like, you know, nobody will know, will ever take a rock and roll away from me. But then it goes into that, dan, 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 which is so different than Black Sabbath with the little keyboardy. There's so much, there's only one hint of Black Sabbath, really, on this album for me. But I think it's a great uh, opener. And what I said in my review, and I still stand by it, this is the worst opener for a Black Sabbath album from the 70s. I'll agree there. I think every other album had a better opener. But I dig it. What do you think? Well, it's funny you were talking about watching your old review because I planned on doing that. After, you know, because I listened to the album just once. And then, okay, I'm going to listen to it again and take my notes. And then I was going to watch yours. just because it's been a you know a few years since I've seen it, but you wanted to start early, so I couldn't. But uh, I was talking to Bill Wang on my way home from work today, and I told him we were going to do this, and he starts naming the songs like oh, and Backstreet Kids. <laughs> you know, and I immediately like Ronnie Dury is like, <laughs> it sucks. That's right, it sucks. Go tell the chef this is low grade dog food. Uh, not a fan of this song, even though there are parts that I like. Uh, I like the basic riff to it, but yeah, that oh, I fucking hate that. But then you talk about when it kicks back in, I can't stand that. Like, you know, keyboard and shit. I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, I mean, really, really, like, and by my second listen, I was like, yeah, really, like, oh, if they just could have took the basic riff to it. And stuck with that because I think Ozzy's got some great vocal. I think Ozzy's vocals on this album are really good, even when the songs are bad. I think he's a great voice. 
But yeah, yeah, definitely the worst fucking opener. Talking about the, the the real lineup. I don't know if it's the worst song on the album, but uh, yeah, bad way to start it off, and especially when you're coming off a of sabotage. Which I, I mean, yeah, everybody looks back now. What a landmark album! But that didn't do as well for them as the previous albums. Well, that's uh, that's the main reason they Technoplexy is so different. Right. Because they felt like, all right, sabotage didn't work. It, it sold. It didn't sell as good as the ones before it. Let's try something new so we can get you know. And, yeah. And, and it, they did something new and, and not nowhere near as good as sabotage. You know? Right. Well, and I think another thing is is the environment in which you recorded in. I mean, you go from you know dark and dreary London, which I think really helps achieve the sound they created. You know, because you feel it in the atmosphere. And then you come to fucking, you know, Miami where everything looks like a fucking Easter egg and there's beautiful women walking around and the, the Coke is flowing, the yayo, uh, you know. And then you, you also have to look at the other music in the 70s, uh, you know, was very happy. And I, I think they wanted to, like Tony talks about, wanted to breach out and try different sounds and lighten it up a little bit because there was a lot of, I mean, there's some great hard rock in the 70s, but I mean, if you look at the charts and what dominated was some very happy kind of singer-songwriter, fluffier stuff. And I think they're like, hey, let's try to do some of that. And it didn't work because everybody wants Sabbath to be Sabbath. You know, I think, you know, they continued experimenting on Never Say Die. Uh, but I think it's much stronger. I think even though there's some songs on that that I'm kind of, uh, uh, I just think, as far as experimenting, it worked out better and the songs were better. I just think this is them coming to Miami Beach and having a lot of fun and having, you know, when they should have been paying a little bit more attention to the music. But hey, man, they're in sunny Miami Beach hoping they can meet fucking Dr. Fuck, uh, you know, and partying their asses off. And, you know, you get shit like this. And again, it, I think they're so coked out by this point and they don't have a producer, uh, you know, to tell them no or hey, you know, you always run a a, a risk when you, when you're self-producing. Who? Oh, you know, they produced it. Uh, Tony did. Okay. He said they, they they went there without a producer, and then the, the, you know they were just kind of going about it themselves, and and uh, Tony was saying that they didn't want to hire anybody else, and and a lot of that I think had to do with money. Because the producer gets paid first, no matter what. Uh, he gets his money flat off the top, and then sometimes he gets points as well. Uh, so it's a way to save money. And they just went through all the legal bullshit that they went through with Sabotage. You know, I mean, it, you know, that's why they decided just to get out of London and also be in tax exile. It was cheaper to record there. And hey, they could save even more money and have more money for drugs if they self-did it. But nobody really wanted to step up, so Tony said, ah, you know, I'll fucking do it. But I think if this would have had a producer, a lot of this shit, you know, would have changed. But, you know, who knows, hindsight. But I don't think it's a strong song, and I can see where this would turn off a lot of fans right off the bat, because you want to come out with something that says, hey, here we are, this is our new record, you know, we're Black Sabbath, and, and you come out with this, it's so disjointed and all over the place, even though there is great shit like those riffs, you know? You know, I love that, 
like you said, that intro. Okay, yeah, and then it takes these weird twists and turns, and the fucking keys are brought up in the mix, and yeah, it just does not work for me. All right, why don't you go to the next one? All right, well, the next one works perfectly. Oh, my God, a beautiful dark dirge that has helped me through uh, more than a few breakups. This song works on every fucking level. Uh, I, I think it, it is a little bit of a departure. It, it is a ballad, but there's it maintains a heaviness throughout it, a heaviness musically, uh, heaviness lyrically, great vocals, great playing. It is different, but it sounds like just complete like this is an experiment but it fucking worked and you never hear anything about this song and this is something I think Ozzy could do now uh, you know and and I usually hate 99% of all Ozzy ballads this is one I do not hate I, I like this song more than fucking changes I really love You Won't Change Me uh, and, and again it, it finds that perfect balance of melancholy but not falling into sappy uh, and, and having musically having balls uh, this one of two epics on this album if you will you know longer tracks but to me it's a 10 out of 10 an absolute classic that nobody gives the respect to you know you never hear anybody talking about this song and that's a goddamn shame what do you think yeah it's my favorite track off the album um uh, re- you know, of recent years, um, I even think when I was doing the review, I named the other one my uh, another song my favorite. But now this is the best song on the album. This is a song I absolutely love. This is the one that sounds like Black Sabbath the way it starts. It's doomy, but then you hear these keyboards added to it, which makes it even creepier. Yeah. And uh, then it goes into this whole keyboard thing. And Ozzy coming out, man. The band is bombastic on it. And I love uh, the, the bridges on this song. It's so good. And I love the way Ozzy sings on this one. Yeah, I love Ozzy's voice during this era. Starting starting really with... Um, uh, <clears throat> starting really Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath up to Never Say Die. Especially Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath and Sabotage. That's his voice at his peak. But uh, here, he's still got that strong voice. It's just the, the songs didn't really call for him screaming like he does on Symptom of the Universe. But I'm right. sure he still could have done it. But, uh, oh, man, it's fucking brilliant. I absolutely love this song. It's so good. Fucking killer. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's probably the song I play the most on my radio show whenever I throw something from Technorexy. It is oh, nice. So, you know, people that... You know, it's not talked about a lot, but I, 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 and I've posted it a lot on my page too, on my Facebook page. I, I love this song, man. It's fucking brilliant. Two thumbs up, bro. I'll go to the next one. Uh, it's all right, right? That's the next one, right? I yes, don't have, sir. I don't have the track listing in front of me. Yes, sir. It's all right. Gorgeous. Very non-black Sabbath. I mean, departure from uh, Solitude, Laguna Sunrise, and uh, Changes. It's um, this is definitely like a a, a total uh, straight straight a straight ahead ballad, something that Sabbath has never done, and uh, I can't help but think maybe Beth had a little bit to do with this. Uh, you know, Peter having that big hit, and yeah. may, maybe I don't know. I just think of that because 
but the song itself, man. I mean, the the lush melodies, the, the great singing. Um, this sounds like it could have been huge in the demographic of that era. Because, you oh, know, yeah. Muskrat Love. I mean, not that this is any Muskrat Love. I mean, not, nothing's that good. But it's just such a beautiful ballad, beautifully done. The, it, it sounds different. Even Tony's playing on this is kind of different. And uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful ballad. And I'll never forget seeing uh, Guns N' Roses and Axel played this song before. Uh, I, it was either November Rain or one of those piano ballads. He started playing it. I was like, are, are you fucking kidding me? And uh, But then, you know, later on, I believe it was that, that uh, return of Axl Rose on the Eddie Trunk show where he showed up by surprise. Yeah. Uh, on that interview, he... He said Technical Ecstasy was his favorite Black Sabbath album. It was either that or I know I heard him say that. And I was like, ah, you know, that, that's odd, you know, for somebody to say that's their favorite Black Sabbath album. But yeah, it's it's Axel's favorite Black Sabbath album. And he obviously loves this song. And so do I, man. What a great, great, great ballad. Uh, you ever seen the video for this? Yes. Yes, you, I have. You think they could have made that video a little brighter? <laughs> Holy shit! The two videos on this album sounds like it's like they didn't have no lights there. You know, it's so dark. It's weird, but uh, yeah, it's great. I absolutely love, love, adore this. It's my third or fourth favorite. Uh, I, I really, really love it, and I think it's a great example of you know when a band tries to has a set sound. And, and they put out that album where, okay, we're going to change it up a little bit. You better knock it out of the fucking park. And I think they did it with this. In fact, I know they did it with this. Whatever I think. I fucking know. Uh, it's a great fucking song. And you brought up a great point. It very well could have been inspired uh, by Beth. Because there's another song on here I've seen more than a couple reviewers listed as like a, like a piss-poor half-ass kiss song. Uh, and Kiss was huge on the charts that time. You know, when Sabbath was dominating more the early 70s, you know, now we're officially in the mid-70s and Kiss, you know, is at their peak. Uh, could very well be inspired by that. I never thought about it that way. But I've heard a lot of people refer to this as like a half-assed Paul McCartney song. But hey, you got me right there. I love Paul McCartney songs. Uh, but yeah, what you're saying about, you know, I love 70s music and and... and and not only 70s hard rock and stuff, but 70s top 40, I fucking love. I, I love that shit. And I can see this with, like, some James Taylor or some Logan and Messina, you know, like on the radio with that other shit, you know. Uh, but I could also see people not giving it a chance. You know, you send this out to a radio station. Oh, Black Sabbath, you know, ah, get the fuck out of here, you know. Uh, but it's something that if you just put this on for somebody, didn't say who it was, they didn't know. I can't imagine anybody saying that's a bad song. I mean, it's just really good, and Bill sings it amazing. You're absolutely right about Tony's playing on it, too. It does not sound like Tony Iommi, but it sounds great. Um, I believe this was a single off the album. I think this was the second single off the album. Uh, it uh, should be uh, noted that this song was originally supposed to be Ozzy singing, and it was actually right. Ozzy that push for Bill Ward to do the lead vocals on this. Yeah, yeah. 
and and it made, it made the right choice. And man, I would love to hear uh, more Bill songs because you know, on the next time he'd sing a song that's more uh, more of a heavier hard rock tempo, and he sounds fantastic on that. You know, yeah. I wish I wish his solo album sounded as good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's uh, it's, it's very. I, I I never really uh, listened to the second one. But I absolutely adore fucking Ward 1. It's so out there, but I love it. Uh, I need to listen to it more. I know the last one he put out, I was like all excited about it. I listened to it and I was like, oh. Oh, I mean, it wasn't like as bad as Peter Chris All for One, but I mean, it really. Well, well, well what is? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, I don't know. All Peter Chris albums are, solo albums are equally shit in my book. Great voice, though. Great, great voice, but yeah, yeah, all for one's definitely the even, worst. even, even on all for one, he sounds like shit. His voice, you know. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I made it through a fucking full song on that. Uh, I think I, I think I, I just skipped. I oh. had to review it, dude. Yeah, um, no, I that that review was legendary. Yeah, but Peter Chris is one of those men. I always keep my fingers crossed because, god damn that voice, I fucking love it. I love that fucking voice. But the shit he picks, like, oh, god damn. Well, but anyway, know, the problem with Peter Chris was... Is Peter Chris? Well, yeah, well, Peter Chris, because in his mind, uh, Beth was so huge, he wanted to be like the next Frank Sinatra. Yeah. You know? He wasn't even the next Frank, he goes to Hollywood. <laughs> you know, relax, Peter, let somebody else write this song. Um... Uh, but yeah, it's it's all right, amazing. And I remember being really excited when uh, Guns N' Roses released that live era, live CD came out in the late '90s when they weren't doing anything, and I was like, oh my god, a version of It's All Right, how cool! And when I finally heard, it, I was like, Ugh, get the fuck out of here, it's just fucking terrible. Is it? I I don't I don't like it. Do you like it? No, I don't think I've ever heard it. I know it's on there. But I don't think I ever bothered to hear it. See, when I saw it live, I wasn't really impressed with how he did it. I was just impressed that he was doing it. You know, I was like, oh, man, he's doing It's All Right from Sabbath. That's fucking awesome. Oh, I thought the same thing because I was like, oh, what a deep cut. And I thought I was the only guy who knew that song and shit. And then you hear it like, oh, don't, don't cover that, you know. It kind of reminded me of how excited I was about uh, Zach doing Junior's Eyes, which, oh my god, like, this is gonna be the best cover ever. Oh, this is gonna be so amazing. You hear it, like, huh? Yeah, that was terrible. Huh? I mean, I don't know if I would say it was that bad. Yeah, it, but was, it was bad. It was bad. No, I mean, no, I, I, no, 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 no. I know Zach's cover of Junior's Eyes is bad. I'm saying G&R's, it's alright. I'm not saying it's that bad, but it's just, I don't know, it's, it's uneventful. And, 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 and be suspect of any motherfucker who says technical ecstasy is their favorite Black Sabbath album. That's like uh, somebody coming oh, my favorite Metallica album is St. Anger. Like, okay, all right, already I'm not going to listen to anything you have to fucking say. I don't think anybody's ever said that. Yeah, but fuck it, I don't know. There's some asshole out there who says that. There, there's always that one asshole. Well, yeah, there's always that one guy that wants to be countercultural, like, oh, my favorite Kiss solo album from the 70s was Peter Chris. Some even say Gene Simmons. I'm like, you're just, you're, you're just being... You're just being an idiot. And as yeah. much as I hate Paul Stanley's solo album, how the fuck can you pick those two over Paul? Much right. less Ace, you know? Right. Yeah, but uh, 
but yeah, the, the, the song's a masterpiece. But then we get to Gypsy. And, uh, whoo. I'll pass on this one, man. Uh, it just, I don't know, there's something about it. Just doesn't cut the mustard. I don't know what they're doing here. Uh, not horrible, horrible, but already it's like a, you know, it's a weird album, you know, it starts out with Backstreet Kids, you're like, uh, alright, let me hear the next one, you know, and it's, and, you know, the next song's great, but it's a weird kind of ballad one, and then you have another ballad one with a different singer, and you're like, okay, but it's a really good song, alright, now let me hear a Sabbath song, and then they come with Gypsy, and I don't know, there's just something half-baked, undercooked. Uh, it, it just ain't all there. Uh, you know? I don't know. It's it's not like fucking Loch Ness, but uh, it just doesn't go anywhere for me. Musically, lyrically, uh, you know, it's just not, it's, like I said, it's not that horrible, but just you expect better from this band. And you're already doing a weird album, but if you're going to be weird, you got to bring it. And this song just doesn't bring it to me. What do you think? Oh, I love it. Uh, this was a grower, though, I admit. I didn't really get it at first. Uh, but now I absolutely love this song. And, and oddly enough, it did make the set list on that right. tour. Right, yep. I have a bootleg of it. Yeah, so do I. And uh, I love it. I love how Bill starts the song. My favorite part is that breakdown where he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you hear that ding, 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 the keyboard part and the echoing of Ozzy's voice. It really, I mean, I that's my favorite part of the song that it makes up for the rest of it, which is just, I don't know. Uh, it does really fit this album, the vibe of the album, the, the weirdness of the album, uh, keyboard laden type stuff. But uh, I really dig it. It, it. But it's different. It's not a Sabbath song to me. But neither are the three before it, you know? Uh, side one is very, very odd. Uh, as far as, like, you know, they just took way too many twists and turns on it. But I got to admit, this one was a grower. Uh, I didn't... I never really hated this song. It just was like, eh, filler. And, that's, how I, that's how I am, man. Yeah, and but now it's like, I don't know, I really like it a lot. I just think it's out there and strange, and uh, I don't know. It's it's yeah. I admit it's not a Sabbath song, you know, but it's still, I don't know. It's hard for me to put into words, but I really right. do like the song, especially the breakdown part. Well, I, I I think when I hear songs like this, how I always try to uh, judge it in my mind is would I like it if it was anybody else? Because, I mean, you do have, you know, bands you love, bands you really, really love, you do have a leeway. You're like, eh, okay, but it's my favorite band. So there's always, like, you'll give it a little bit more leeway because you love the band so much. But I always try to judge it. Like, if this was a band I just wasn't passionate about, would I give a shit about this song? And this is one, like, man, if it wasn't Black Sabbath, if, if this was a Uriah Heep song, I'd be like, skip. You know, and I like some of your right heat, but I'm just not that passionate about it as I am Sabbath. Well, you know? I think that may contribute to my love for the song because I'm a little too much of a nut swinger. That, you know, there is a song uh, coming up that I absolutely hate. Shit, there's two I don't really like on this album, but 
Uh, but that 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 one's hard to defend. Those are hard to defend right. for me. This one, I don't know. It's, I guess it is because of my fandom. I'm willing to accept this song, and I like, like I said, that that middle section, man, with the keyboard and the echoes on Ozzy's voice. It really sells it for me. I'm like, God, I love that fucking part of the song. It's just so cool. All right. All right. Why don't you flip it over, Ian? All right. We flip this motherfucker over and we go to all moving parts in parentheses. Stand still. Uh, I fucking love this album. I think this, I mean, album. I love this track. I think it is the, the deep track on this album. And I think it's like the really experimental one that works. Oh my God, does it work? Uh, it, it's kind of funky and got a strut to it. So different from Sabbath. But this is a song complete opposite of Gypsy for me. This is something, even if it was a band I didn't know, it just had something that like, ooh, I like that. I like that strut, man. You know, I like, you know, I just imagine somebody in bell bottoms with a little fucking, a little bit of cock in their walk, a little bit of glide in their stride. And it, it's cool as fuck. But something I never knew, uh, they might talk about in Doom Let Loose. I need to reread that book again because that was a really good book. And the I gotta best, get the, the best Black Sabbath yeah. book there is. Yeah, I gotta, and I gotta. I'm friends with Martin uh, Popinoff or whatever on Facebook. I need to get a hold of him, and we need to get him on the show because he's written some amazing books. I have a lot of Martin Popoff books. I need to get that motherfucker out of my attic, though. Uh, but I, I was doing research, never realized that this song was written about a transvestite who becomes president of the United States of America. Uh, is it United States? I, I, I understood it was just a president... But they didn't. They weren't clear what country. Uh, well, well I, on Wikipedia it says President of the United States. Okay. Uh, and it might be, you know, hey, they were recording it here in the states. Uh, and I gotta admit, like even reading the lyrics, because I was like, oh fuck, you know, because some some bands I pay attention to the lyrics, some bands I don't. And this is a song I've hummed and sung a million times, and not even know what I'm singing. It's just like muscle memory, you know, singing along to it. I was like, let me check this shit out. And I, I mean, maybe in the last verse, I kind of get a little bit of shit about the transvestite shit, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. But, but to me, it, he he could be saying anything in this song, and it just works because of the sound of his vocals, the funk and the strut of it. Experimentation at its best. Absolutely love this song. Uh, I would say it goes between this and It's Alright for like my third and fourth favorite. Uh, my second favorite's uh, uh, You Won't Change Me. My favorite's coming up. But all moving parts stand still. Now this is a, this is a song that I would go to uh, separately. You know, like, oh, I, let me play that song. You know, and, and a lot of the rest of it I, I prefer to hear as an album. But this one, man, ah, fucking love it. What do you think? This was my favorite um, from the album. Now it's uh, you can't change me, but oh yeah, dude, absolutely love this fucking song. And this song really fits the fucking album cover, just by the title of the song, you know. <laughs> and uh, it's just, uh, it's, yeah, it's 
I hear what you're saying. It's it's them doing something different like they did in Gypsy. But I agree. This one connects more. This one makes more sense. And, you know, the classic, I like choking toys out of nowhere. It's like, what yeah. the fuck? What the fuck? I like choking toys. But it, <laughs> but it, it, it sticks. It's like, wow. And even reading that, I'm, I'm kind of thinking two things. Is he saying, like, he likes to grab a dowel and choke the shit out of it? Or does he like, you know, in the late 70s, there was this big issue with, like, toys that children would choke on. Like that whole Battlestar Galactica line that, that got canceled because kids were choking on the missiles that shot out of the planes. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't even know what it means. But apparently, maybe he's choking on a cock. I don't know. But, uh, great song. <laughs> Fuck yeah, this is a brilliant song. And I love the way it starts. It's like so fucking grooving and mid-tempo and hooky, very hooky verse. You know, super animation, turning on the nation. I love this fucking song. And uh, for years, this shit was my favorite. I remember back in the day making Black Sabbath mixtapes of the 70s stuff. And this would always, this and Dirty Woman would represent the album back in the day. Now, you know, it's, you know, back then I never even thought of putting uh, You Can't Change Me because it is a little too, you know, mellowish. I don't think I, even to this day I don't I wouldn't think of putting that on a Black Sabbath mix because it'll stick out like a sore thumb. Where this one, as weird as it is, goes great with you know Super Nault and uh, you name it. Oh yeah. You know? oh, yeah. It, 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 even though it's different, it sounds different than all the. It, it's the one that to me is has that early Sabbath vibe without sounding like early Sabbath. If that makes any sense. Right. But yeah, it's a little bit of funky too. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and I love Tony's like guitar little guitar things he does during it. And uh oh man, it's just a fucking amazing song. Hell yeah, I'm glad we're doing this album finally. Uh, cuz it is a dark horse album, man. It's you know, even if I think it's uh the my least favorite in the 70s, it's still so commendable as an album because it shows you the brilliance of these guys even when they were all fucked up. And this album, and I guess the next one to some extent, uh, the drugs weren't working, but here and there, a, a, you know, a glimpse of brilliance would shoot out. And right. that's, that's the testament of an amazing band. Oh, yeah. But then, you know, the drugs don't work on the next one. Ooh. Oh, Ooh. man. And, and boy, I never liked this. Even back in the day, I was like, man, this is too rocky rolly. I don't want to hear Chuck Berry riffs in Black Sabbath, you know? It just doesn't work, you know? Uh, you know. It'll work with the Beatles and shit like that, but it just doesn't work for Sabbath. It's too... And uh, I remember even back in the day, I was like, yeah, I'm not I'm not too keen on this one. And then I go see the Born Again tour. <laughs> the epic Born Again tour. And they played this fucking song. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, no. You're playing this? You know, and I, but here's the thing. I saw them play Rock and Roll Doctor live, and I thought, I go, this must be a Gillen song from his solo band. Because I didn't know Technical Ecstasy yet. Oh, okay. But I was even like, oh, that Rock and Roll Doctor song was terrible. You know, that was really bad. Then later I found out, oh, it's a Sabbath song? It was like, that shit sucks, dude. Yeah, it, it, is, it is shitty. 
It's just a shitty song. And uh, and again, uh, a video <laughs> shot right when they did us all right. You know, and they still didn't turn on the lights. Uh, yeah, this was the first single off the album. Whew. Yeah, no wonder it failed. Never heard that shit on the radio. Uh, but yeah, it's terrible. It's and I hate saying this, you know. But uh, oh man, it's a it, it's a painful listen. But there are people that like this song, believe it or not. Says who? Who? Who uh, likes oh, this song? I've seen people online say, you know, rock, you know, because when I say something like, oh, I don't like, oh, you're crazy, rock and roll, Doctor Rules. I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right. Oh my God, this fucking song. <laughs> it's it's so so bad. I mean, I mean, this is like a bad Kiss song played by the current lineup of Foghat. <laughs> you know, it's just so cheesy, bad 70s beneath them. And yeah, I was going to bring up that they did play this on the Born Again tour. And yeah, that had to be excruciating. You know, I have bootlegs of that tour and, I, and I've and i never listened to it. I keep skipping it. I'm like, no, I can't do it, man. Well, I mean, you, know, you know what? It's a good thing I didn't know this album yet. Because that probably would have been more pissed. I was a little more accepting going, all right, they're playing a shitty Ian Gillen solo song. Right. That's, that sucks. They should have thrown out something else, but whatever. They should have did Trash, which Trash was never played live. Can you believe that shit? And, uh, yeah. And they played this, and I was just like, well, I guess they threw Ian, a, Ian Gillen a bone uh, to play this song. But then when I found out it was a Sabbath song, I was like, Oh fuck! And then I was like, "Well, you know." Now, in retrospect, I'm glad I didn't know back then, because I'm sure I would have been like, "Oh fuck you! You're doing rock and roll, doctor, you motherfuckers!" You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I, I mean, oh god, it's. I and I could imagine like seeing an awesome tour, like you know, Born Again, and then playing this. You know, that'd be like seeing Kiss on the fucking uh, Creatures of the Night tour, and they play Fanfare. Like, no, <laughs> no, how can you do this? It was so bad that Beth Bavane's solo was somewhat tolerable. And boy, oh. that was bad. Oh, was it? Oh, the drum solo on the Born Again tour? Yeah. I think at that point was the first time I went, wow, this drum solo sucks. How was he? Uh, how was the rest of his performance? Oh, he was great. You know, yeah. I, I, I thought he played the songs well, but they, the gave, him a, they gave him a drum solo. And um, up to that point, I, my, the drum solos I've seen was like Tommy Aldridge and, you know, the greats doing really good, Alex Van Halen, you know, shit right. like that where it was like entertaining solos. Then that one, I was like, oh, man, come back out, guys, please. Oh, Lord. Well, the least said about this song, the better. I'll take the next one, which a lot of people do not like. Hello. Uh, I love this song, and I am not the ballad guy. Uh, (laughs) Right when I came home, the missus was like, oh, I want to show you this video Uh, I saw on YouTube. They're counting down, like, the top ten power ballads. I was like, oh, great. Already I don't give a fuck. Fucking ballads, (laughs) you know? I'm I'm like, honey, I'm sorry. I just don't like ballads. I'm not a ballad guy. But this one, to me, works. And and, And it works in spite of adding... Two things that I really fucking hate, ballads and, like, orchestra. Oh, God, do I hate when bands do that shit. I really, really hate that. But this song has always worked for me. 
Uh, and, and I think the secret is, uh, it's not that long of a song. It's only, you know, it's under five minutes. Uh, and I know sometimes it can seem longer because it is a very slow, uh, you know, I don't think it's as much of a dirge as You Won't Change Me, but it's a, it's a slow ballad song. But I just find it very beautiful and haunting. And I think Ozzy sounds incredible on it. And I just, I feel it. I, Ozzy is what sells it to me. Because there's so many elements that already I don't like going into it. But I just really sense uh, the pain in Ozzy's voice, you know. And he's going through, you know, a very rough marriage at this time. And it's pretty much like, you know, the love, even though he wouldn't get divorced for, you know, a few more years... This is when he's already at the, yeah, it's really over, but, you know, i got a couple kids that I won't put on a fucking uh, reality show. Uh, you know, it's done. But I feel the pain, and it seems legit to me. He sells it. It feels sincere. It doesn't feel forced. Uh, I think it's coming from a very true, you know, source. And that's what sells it to me, and I love it. But you don't, huh? <laughs> She's gone. The worst Black Sabbath song ever from the 70s. I'll even put Breakout above this shit. And Rock and Roll Doctor. Wow. I'll tell you why it really bothers me. Um, the lyrics is what really ruins it for me. Because the lyrics are just so elementary and, and, and you know, by numbers, uh, you know, she left me wah wah song. Which I really usually don't have a problem with that. But just the way it's written, that really bothers me. And and the music doesn't help either. I think the music is terrible. It matches the lyrics perfectly. It's a it's a concept of suck. Um, but with all due respect, Ian, you know I love you, baby. I love you too. I know if uh, you leave me, I'll, I'll probably end up liking this song. <laughs> but but I, 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 it really bothers me. And this is like, oh, my God, I can't. And you know me. I am the ballad guy. I like more ballads than you do, you know? And I'm oh, yeah. A, I'm a huge fan of changes. Right. Huge. I love changes. And this is pretty much changes part two, but but it's just it, with way worse lyrics. And uh, and I, I, I want to give a shout-out to this guy that I forgot his name. That did a cover of Changes, the soul version. Have you heard that shit? Uh, I think I did. But yeah, it's just a song that really, really bothers me. And boy, really contributes this album to be at the bottom of the list with Rock and Roll Doctor. It's like a one-two punch of suck. But the album gets saved at the very end with the long, epic Dirty Women. The first song I heard off this album. Thanks to Night Flight, the live version, and man, this song rules. Uh, and you know, it's you know, again, it's a song about hookers, obviously. And uh, I think this was consciously done to get away from their past. Let's write songs about hookers and transvestites. <clears throat> Let's you know, st stray away from the subject matters we've done before, and it works. It's got keyboards high in the mix. I'm fine with it because it's creepy, man. It really does match the mood of like, you know, late at night, some John looking for a hooker. You know, it, the, musically, it does have that fucking, you know, 
right before dawn, like four or five in the morning, just cruising the streets looking for hookers. Not that I would know anything about that. <laughs> Me <laughs> anyway, either. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, uh, and the solo. Oh my God, it goes on forever. Uh, it goes on forever, but I wish it went on for a little more eternity because Tony's going ape shit at the end of the song. And I believe what what's it saying in the background? I think it's saying like "Feel me," something like that. I hear some some singing going on during that solo, repeatedly over and over again. And it is the most well uh, known song off this album. And uh, what can I say? Dirty Movies is epic. It's awesome. It's a great way to end the album. What do you think? Dirty Movies. Dirty Dirt. Dirty Women. Dirty Women. Yeah, you see, oh, I, I just gave myself away. I don't look for hookers. But I'm at porno theaters late at night, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Always Has Been, Always Will Be, my favorite song off the album. Uh, this is the one I think, uh, I think this is more representative of their sound than You Won't Change Me. Uh, fucking love it. And I, what's great is this song was probably written about your mother because Geezer wrote this about all the hookers he was seeing in Miami. So he, he might have seen your mama walking around in her prime. Not it was, true at all. That's real bullshit. And was inspired enough to write this fucking epic. Um, it was Bill I, Ward, and he came back oh, and told him about my mom, and then he's a Get your oh, facts straight. Oh. I'm offended. Okay, yeah, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, oh, God, I, I love this. And it is dark and eerie. You know what? I love that, you know... You know, you brought up that it makes you think of, like, you know, before the light, you know. And <laughs> I saw some hookers today on the way to work. And unfortunately, now that we're in the middle of summer, it's already light when I'm driving to work. But normally, because uh, I get to work very early, uh, you know, it's still dark. And I always love when I, when I see hookers, I take it as that's a good omen that it's going to be a good day. <laughs> you know, I just love seeing street walkers. That's some logic uh, there. Yeah, I, I know, and I was I was telling a guy today because we, we saw like a day hooker today, and I was like, oh man, when I drive to work and I see some hookers, I I, I get it doesn't matter if they're young, old, uh, transvestites or what, it always puts a smile on my face to see some hookers. How's the how's the hookers look over there? Uh, eh, not as good as Chicago, but <laughs> the funniest thing when it, uh first came here it was me and three other guys and uh you know the economy went to shit uh the housing market went to hell we all lost our jobs we all got people getting laid off left and right in florida so we came to new orleans you know post katrina to help do the rebuild and it was me and my buddy matt he's from you know chicago area like i am so he's used to seeing hookers the other two guys were from Florida, and where we were at Florida, you didn't see street walkers. There was hookers, but you didn't see them on the streets. And we're, we're driving downtown uh, New Orleans, and you just see it. You know it's a hooker. You know it's a hooker. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, a fucking hooker. I'm like, oh, feels so good to see. Like, damn, that bitch got some legs. She tall. Holy shit. And then as we pass, we look back at the face. Motherfucker looked like Rick James, dude. It was totally a dude. <laughs> it, was, it was a, it was a transvestite hooker. 
<laughs> fucking had like a five o'clock shadow and shit. Like, uh, 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 tuck your boner. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, the streetwalkers here, yeah, not, not, not too good. But I love that work ethic. And uh, this is a great song, but it is. There's something dirty and dingy about it. And to me, every time I hear this, I get like a very like Jack the Ripper feel. You know, I, even though they recorded Miami, I, I think of like London. And I think like, you know, Jack the Ripper, there's some fog and here's some, you know, gussied up street walkers and shit. And it just works perfect. It's eerie. And then I love like when it goes into solo and it takes these weird ass like jazzy turns. But it works. Everything about it works, you know. And it, it's. I was glad that they played this on the reunion tours. You know, it sucks that this was like the only post, uh, you know, sabotage. Well, actually, really, if you want to get te- only post. Well, yeah, fuck, they, they did. No, uh, volume four. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they do. They do snowblind. Yeah. So, uh, but the only one from that era. I love it, but they still didn't do the complete, like, jazzy middle, you know, like they do on the record. But yeah, the solo is fucking incredible, but I like that weird, like, jazzy, weird shit that they do. Uh, I mean, it's just epic, you know, and then when it's done, and it kicks back into that, I mean, that's like, oh, fuck, here's Sabbath. I know we've been on this weird, wild ride, but here's the Sabbath you know and love. There is that fucking Iomi riff. That is quintessential fucking Iomi. And, oh, what a way to end the album. And it is. It's a weird, wild ride, but uh, it, it, it's still good. Even if it's my least favorite, it's still good. You know? It's still a blowjob you come to, but, you know, you know, it's, you know, the teeth scrape you a little bit here and there but it's still fucking awesome. And, and and this song stands the test of time. But I, I, I think, you know, a lot of people like, oh, yeah, this is the one everybody knows off it. Go check out the album, because there there is different surprises and stuff that, that I think people will love. I think there's songs here anybody will love, no matter what you're into. And you might like one of the ones that we don't like. You know, that might be your song. I think there's a little something here for everybody. It's just not a consistent album. Uh, but man, it's fucking Black Sabbath, technical ecstasy. I mean, even the cover, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I, I don't know. Some days I, I think, oh, that's fucking brain. Other days I'm like, that is the worst fucking album cover ever. Uh, but I'm glad I have it on vinyl and I can look at it that big and it sounds amazing. Uh, so definitely check it out. And another interesting tidbit is when they did the tour for this, they took out a young up-and-coming ACDC. And there was a big riff, riff-raff, if you will, between Geezer Butler and Malcolm Young. I wasn't familiar with you. Are you familiar with this story, Ralph? I, I'm vaguely familiar with it. I remember hearing something, but I forgot what it was. Yes. Yeah, uh, they did not get along on the tour. And uh, at one point, they were playing in Switzerland. And they were at the bar after the show, and Geezer Butler had a switchblade comb. Do you remember those? Yes, and I, and I and again, 
I vaguely remember this story. I don't remember how it goes, but I vaguely remember this. Yeah, uh, Geezer at the bar pulls out a switchblade comb, opens it up, and Malcolm Young, I think, was drunk and thought that it was a real switchblade, and, like, Geezer was pointing at him and, and got really pissed off, and, like, the whole tour was tense between the two bands because of this weird-ass drunk altercation. And, uh, you know, and, and ACDC felt like Sabbath was totally on their way down and past their prime. And, you know, they were blowing them off the stage every night. Much like, you know, everybody talks about how Van Halen blew Sabbath off the stage on the next tour. Uh, you know, I believe that's up to the people who saw the show. You know, some people may say yes, some people may say no. There were some people that said that Van Halen... Some people... Some people said Van Halen did not blow Black Sabbath off stage because uh, they saw Van Halen. They were like, wow, that's an incredible band, but I don't know them at all. You know, so that's, you know, but then there, I think, and, and, and not to mention anybody's name, but let me just say, you love that guy. Always brings that up to me because he knows, you know, Black Sabbath is my favorite band. Van Halen's his favorite. He always says that to me. Yeah, well, Black Van Halen just, and I was like, were you there? You know, you weren't there. I mean, I don't think anybody should talk unless you were there. And, right. uh, and I hate to mention this guy, even though I really don't have a problem with him, but, uh, it's the show he was on. I had a problem with that guy from that metal show. Uh, not Eddie trunk, but the other guy, one of the other two comedians, the one without the sideburns. Oh, um, not Don Jameson, the one I can remember. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. other one. Well, anyway, yeah. he, he's the one of the... He goes, I saw Black Sabbath with Van Halen at Madison Square Garden, and Van Halen did not blow Black Sabbath away at all. They were great. They were amazing. Uh, but when Black Sabbath came out, uh, not even Van Halen was that good. So, I mean, but I can't say. I know I'm bringing up this story because I'm a nutswinger, and it really... Truth hurts if it is true. Yeah. But... The fact of the matter is, that, and I saw, and we all saw, that Hammersmith Odeon footage of Never right. Say Die. They're fucking great. They're fucking amazing. And I have the soundboard of Van Halen opening that show, and they were fucking great too. But I wasn't there, you know? I wasn't there to say. Yeah. None, like, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, I could tell you, like, when I saw Pantera open for Skid Row, I mean, that was fucking mind right and i never seen right. a band get so owned in my life oh and uh another tidbit i want to say uh very important uh i have never seen a hooker in miami that looked any anywhere near decent that's why I asked, <laughs> that's why i asked you that question i mean every fucking hooker in florida are vile i'm like oh my god really you're gonna you're gonna pay for that i don't even want to get paid for that you know, it's like, oh, that's why I asked you, how do hookers look in New Orleans? Cause boy, they're not good looking down here. I mean, they're fucking ugly. Fugly. Yeah, but I like that too. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I don't. I mean, I, especially if I'm going to pay for it. Give me a break. All righty. Well, this album was released September 20, uh, yeah, September 25th, 1976. Produced by Tony Iommi, and it did go gold. So, ah, really? There's, wow. But I, I don't know when it went gold, though. Uh, sometimes it'll show you what year. You know, a lot of times 
albums don't go gold till years later, but it, it has achieved gold. Uh, every Ozzy album has gone gold except for 13. Uh, really? Yes. And that was the number one album. Yeah, but, you know, like our buddy Eddie Trunk always says, nowadays it doesn't take shit to get a number one album because nobody buys it, and then you got to look at what it is the next week. Yeah, you know, like, like plummeted. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, you know, the whole, oh, my God, Black Sabbath, Ozzy, back together, let's go out yeah. and buy it. And then they were like, ew. Right. So, what uh, a terrible album, man. Yeah, I need to go back. I, I didn't hate it as much as you, but I was still disappointed. Uh, so, yeah, this is one we, we decided to take a break from the uh, fan episodes and do one just for Ralph. And uh, yeah. I think it, it was a great album to pick. Yeah, I figured let's do another Sabbath classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been coming to me lately say. God damn it, what if something happens and we never recorded this album? Yeah, I, you know, it's look, look, we still haven't done Fair Warning. We still haven't done so many great classic albums that need to be talked about that we need to do these. I mean, I know, but you, you scare me when you say this because I'm like, where's this show going? We're going to be doing this for years, you know, unless you know something I don't. Unless you never you're... know. You just never know, <laughs> you know. You're a raging alcoholic and I, I stick my dick in anything. You never know. Yeah, but you wear a rubber like a pussy. I wouldn't wear a rubber even with fucking Miami hookers. <laughs> I did. <laughs> All right. Well, now it is time to go into pick of the week. And uh, do you have one, Ralph? I sure do, Ian. Oh, boy. You are prepared. I am prepared this week. Uh, today, as we're recording this, it's June 22nd. And today is the 25th anniversary of my favorite album from my favorite death metal band, Covenant from Morbid Angel. Oh my God, Rapture, God of Emptiness, the one that everybody knows. This whole is that album, the bow, bow to me faithfully. Uh, oh my God, do I love this album. Uh, everybody, yeah, nah, but I was the last one that said, no, no, Altar of Man is not. Hey, man, they're all great. Don't get me wrong. I love all that shit. But this one, I think, is their, I don't know, their, their masterpiece. I think this is when they all came onto their own. And uh, it's just a phenomenal album from start to finish. Absolutely love Covenant. Great fucking album. My pick of the week, Morbid Angels, Covenant. Awesome. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get drunk tonight. I'm going to listen to that shit because I never listened to it. I have it, but I'll check it out. Yeah, it's awesome. Right on. All right. Well, my pick of the week this week is not an album, but a documentary that I just watched the other day that I thought was really, really good. And it's called Jeff Beck's Still on the Run. And, man, I love Jeff Beck very weird guitar player though I mean lots of different eras to his playing but a very well done documentary very interesting I think it's something somebody could enjoy whether you know his music or not this could be like a great gateway into you know checking out all the different eras from you know the Yardbirds you know him his childhood him and Jimmy uh, Jimmy Page being best friends and shit and uh, it's a lot of great shit with Jimmy Page in this documentary. The Bobby Doll years. Yeah, the Bobby Doll years, the Rod Stewart years. Uh, 
but just really interesting and describes what a passionate player he is. And uh, he's had so many different lineups and different bands. And he's quick to jump ship, almost kind of like Richie Blackmore in a way, but maybe not as asshole-ish as Richie Blackmore. But the at the minute it like doesn't interest him or there's drama and shit, he's like, okay, I'm done. Done with all you. I'll move on to something else. And really, he would almost... You know, he's just as happy working on cars. He builds his own hot rods and shit, has for years. And uh, if he's not feeling it, he'll drop off. He don't care if it's a mullet tour or anything. Uh, he's like, I'm going to do what makes me happy, what interests me. But it's really neat. It shows you how he constantly feels he has to evolve musically as well and, and how he stays in touch with uh, current music, not necessarily like popular music, but music like from all over the world. If something tickles his fancy, like, oh, I got to get in the studio because I got to do something with this. Uh, some great stuff, you know, talking about the records he did with George Martin on there. Uh, blow by re- blow. Yeah, awesome really. Album. Oh, yeah, there's some really cool stories about making of that album. And the follow up, uh, which is tied for my personal favorite, uh, Wired. Yeah. Uh, uh, that and Truth is his first solo album. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just Truth, great Truth shit. Truth has uh, Rod Stewart on it, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the, the, the best you will ever hear, Rod Stewart. And, uh, oh, my God. Just I don't know. Very... I think the best time I ever heard Rod Stewart was the time that, uh, well, I got to say, I'm responsible for having his stomach pumped, if you know what I mean. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It makes sense now. But a very interesting documentary. If you like Jeff Beck, if you'd like to learn some more about Jeff Beck, or even if you just, like me, I just love musical documentaries. Sometimes I don't even have to be a fan of the artist as long as it's a well-done documentary. Uh, Check it out. Jeff Beck's still on the run. Did you have to buy it, or can you watch it somewhere? Uh... I believe it was produced by the BBC, uh, but I think you can get it on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, I got it from my buddy, Mr. X. Uh, but uh, check it out. Uh, I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Right on. We got a fan of the week? Yes, we do. Do we ever have a fan of the week? Our fan of the week this week is Jason Smith, who who knows when you're going to hear this episode. But when we did news for our current episode, he left us the most amazing uh, iTunes review. I really loved. He was the one who talked about how, you know, we blow all the other podcasts away and and how we're exciting and a lot of them are boring. And uh, it, it just it wasn't just that, you know, that review like lathered our ass. I think he he gave an accurate description. Uh, I think we are the best fucking yeah, podcast. Yeah, and that, that blow other podcasts away. Mm, I, I stand to, I, I stand behind that statement too. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he, I think he brought up a great point where a lot of other podcasts, you know, that they might be very informative, uh, you know, might have great guests, but we're so awesome. We don't even need great guests. We've had very little, as far as actual musicians, you know, compared to other podcasts. A lot of other podcasts get more people than us. Who gives a frack's ass? But we don't even... Hey, I would welcome that. I would love to have guests like that, but not a, uh, to sacrifice the content 
and and the sincerity of what we do, we'll never kiss anybody's ass just to get a fucking interview or say we like something we don't. That's right. Uh, Fuck Paul Stanley. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I thought it was a really good review, and I've seen him. He's been active on the page. He's kind of new to me. I'm not exactly sure when Jason joined, uh, but he does contribute, and, and that's what I love, man. You know, because we have all these classic people on the page that have been contributing for years, but I like seeing the new people coming there and get just as involved with leaving the comments, even leaving their own posts and everything. That's what it's all about. You know, because the, the Facebook page is even really, it's more for you guys than it is even for us, you know, where you can talk to other listeners, other fans of the show, and, and not just talk about us, but the music you like. And uh, I think we've got a really cool community going. Oh, fuck yeah. Harmony, no more bitching and getting upset. And attacking people, yeah. you know. I'm so glad that person left. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it is a cool page, man. And, and and people do have different opinions and different uh, tastes. And I love, you know, certain people uh, post, you know, a certain genre of music. Other people post a different genre. But everybody talks about it, and 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 that's what we want to create. And we've done that so successfully. And it's thanks to people like uh, Jason Smith. Yeah. Who get what we're doing, man? And and he, man, good enough to leave us that iTunes review and participate. So yeah, brother, you are our fan of the week. Thank you, Jason Smith. Awesome, bro. Uh, all right. Well, on that note, let's get to the plugs. Ear Pillar, the podcasting and interview news site. To keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear. Go to earpeeler.com to find out what we're all about. Listen to The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Go to all the W's, Gully, G-U-L-L-Y-A-N-D-J-O-A dot U-K. 8 p.m. U.K. time, 3 p.m. Eastern. The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Listen to it. Don't be a cunt. Hey, rock music fans. This is Terrence Reardon of the Terrence Reardon and Friends Audiovisual Podcast. Join yours truly as I... Look every week at a different classic rock or metal album that had a major impact on my life, and I'm usually joined by a friend or two, or ten, and we talk about nothing but great classic rock and metal. And there's no country or Sammy Hagar or rap on the fucking show. That shit is frowned upon with yours truly. So if you want a great classic rock audiovisual podcast, tune on in to the Terrence Reardon and Friends audiovisual podcast. New episodes every Monday, exclusively on YouTube. Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault on Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. (laughs) Tired of your long commute and boring work day? Well, join Brian Davis and his gang of movie buffs as they talk about a different movie subject every week on Damn Good Movie Memories. We discuss movie themes like our favorite movie villains, favorite soundtracks, and worst movie remakes, and much more. Check us out on iTunes and Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. 
from New York. Hey, 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 hey! What up, bangers? From North Carolina, Skitter Pal Meow Meow. This is Bushy. And the Mountain. Tune in every week for your listening pleasure only on the plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man. You can find us on Podbean and iTunes. Thank you very much. Hey everybody, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And we're from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And if you love this... You'll love us. That's right. Brand new episode every single Monday. You can find us on iTunes and at decibelgeek.com. And the best thing is, it's rock and roll, and it's always free. This is Ian Wobbly, Wadzilla from Wadzilla's World. Do you want to hear the greatest, most eclectic show on the internet? Show up for the best in hard rock, heavy metal, classic rock, funk, soul, and anything else I deem necessary. Wadzilla World only on Cranium Radio, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time to 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Be here or be a bitch. Welcome to the best fucking show you'll ever hear in your life. Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, The Dr. Fuck Show. Yes, tune in here at that metal station for the Dr. Fuck Show. I've been doing this show right here for years. And the chat room's always packed. The jams are always playing. And yeah, you may get a rant every freaking week from me. Fuck, not freaking. I don't want to say freaking. I mean fucking. So join me and my lunatics that are let out of the asylum here on that metal station. 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Thursday nights. Join me. Let's lose our fucking minds. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, then you have pretty good fucking taste because you like not only Black Sabbath, but us. And come back next week where we go more in depth about hookers. Rubber or not. Yeah, and leave feedback. Uh, Let us know where there's good looking hookers. Yeah, and what that costs. Yeah, and if you leave a comment, oh, I live in Miami, they're good looking, you fucking liar. Or you have shit taste in women. Yeah. You, you, like, you like men. <laughs> yeah, post pictures on the Facebook page. Yeah, we know all you fuckers get hookers, but just take a picture of your recent conquest or your recent buy. <laughs> and in between hookers, venereal diseases, and rubbers, we'll probably review an album too. Yeah. That, that's next week. On the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. I like choking toys.